We're going to be reading verses 69 through 75. Matthew chapter 26. For the sake of our visitors, two weeks ago we did a message entitled Tears for the Lost. Our concern was our own spiritual state and whether or no we have a genuine concern for those who are without Christ. Last week, we considered tears for the glory of God. The scriptures make very clear that his people mourn when the world when their families, when their city, when their state, when their country, when this tragic and sad world breaks his law and lives according to the darkness of their hearts, false religions, and all the rest. I would suggest to each of us, beginning right here behind the pulpit, that those two messages probably say more about the spiritual state of this congregation than anything I've preached in a very long time. Do you have any concern about those around you that are on their way to eternal darkness? Does it bother you in the slightest that your God is dishonored by our government by our nation every day. If not, you already have a, a pretty good insight as to where you are spiritually. And it's not a good picture. So today, it is my hope to cap something of a triune series regarding this matter of our own spiritual state as we might measure it with tears. We're going to read verses 69 through 75 of Matthew 26. Would you please stand with me? We'll give our attention to the word of God. By the way, I do not preach these uh, for the purpose of setting before you a downer. But all of us need a reality check on a regular basis. We need reality checks from the Word of God, not our own pulse. We need to look into the mirror of God's Word and ask, Is that me? Does that describe me? This is not about looking around and saying, yeah, but they or he or she or this is all about uh, how is my spiritual health before my God? And at least in these messages, what we've had is a very plain reality check. These are all things that are set before us as the hearts of those who have been converted. So, 
That being said, I hope we can hear them with seriousness, that we can hear them with joy, that even if they are weighty, they will turn our hearts to Christ and the joy and love of God fill our souls. So Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 69. This is God's word. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely also art Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me. Thrice, and he went out and wept bitterly. Amen. I would draw your attention to those last two words. Wept bitterly. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Father, thy word is holy infallible, authoritative, preserved. It is better than any sermon I will ever preach. Help me not to muddy its beautiful waters. I pray, O Lord, that this morning those that are gathered would drink from the fountain of life. I pray as I prayed earlier, Father, I know that there are lost ones here, young and old. And I ask in thy righteous name, I, I ask in the blessed name of thy son, Jesus Christ, thou hearest us by him, Lord. I know this, thy word teaches us. His blood has opened the way to the throne of of grace, where we might pour out our souls, where we might pour out and confess to thee our wickednesses, where we might come and by faith lay hold of the blood of Christ, the promises of Christ, the cleansing of all his works on our behalf. Thou hast promised this. Father, I pray that in gospel light you would open the hearts of the lost. And I pray that thy dear children who are hungry for thee will indeed hear thee. Father, their heart, their hopes 
are in Christ. Feed them today. Strengthen them. Build them up in the faith. Father, some of these things are exceedingly weighty. But thy truth is. And I pray that thou wouldst make this truth to burn in our hearts. Giving, give us, give all of thy hungry children here today burning hearts. Hearts for thee. Hearts for the lost. Hearts for thy glory. And Father, I pray thou wouldst help this weak and feeble vessel of dust to deliver thy word for thy glory, for the edification of thy dearly loved ones. May the grace of God, may the mercy of our triune God be with us today. And may the Spirit of God open our eyes and shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. And I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. After the Last Supper, Judas the traitor led a band of soldiers and temple guards to the Garden of Gethsemane. There, they arrested our Lord Jesus. The mob tied him up and led him away to Annas, who then sent him to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin that is the highest court of justice in Jerusalem, searched for false testimony against Jesus because they wanted him dead as soon as possible. They wanted him dead at any cost. They finally found two men who said that Jesus had threatened to destroy the temple. Jesus refused to reply to those charges because he was not going to the cross on false charges. He would be crucified for the truth only. Then Caiaphas impatiently commanded Jesus to acknowledge whether he was the Christ. And in the presence of the teachers and theologians of Israel, Jesus answered, What you say is true. Thou hast said it. Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus was quoting the Old Testament. And every single one gathered in that courtroom knew it. He applied the Holy Scriptures to himself. In other words, Jesus was plainly declaring himself King Messiah. That was the answer Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin were looking for. They all agreed that Jesus had blasphemed and was worthy of death. 
Now consider the irony. The Jews judge the one who will judge them in the day of judgment. Following that mockery of justice, the Sanhedrin and their slaves beat, mocked, and spat upon Jesus. That precious Son of God, the divine Son of Man. And that brings us to our text. That's the context for what we have just read. It reveals that Peter will prove to the world that he is not what he believes himself to be. And when he understands the depth of his sin, he weeps bitterly. Now let me ask a question. Do we weep over our sins? Do you, do I, weep because we have sinned against a good, holy, gracious, merciful, and loving God. Our message is entitled Tears for Our Sins. And may our holy heavenly Father help us to see the depths of our own sins. The power of Christ to save and sanctify. And our need for the Holy Spirit's empowering presence to believe on and walk with Jesus Christ. Now let us begin with Peter's three denials of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's first denial of Christ. It was in the courtyard. Verses 69 and 70. After Jesus was arrested, we read one of the saddest passages in the Bible. The words are simple. The mob had appeared. Jesus was bound. And the text says, Then all the disciples forsook him. And fled. Following this, verse 58 of this chapter tells us that after all the disciples abandoned Jesus, Peter followed him afar off unto the priest's palace, the high priest's palace, and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter ran away in our Lord's darkest hour and then sat with others to see what would happen. 
So let's examine the stark contrast that this scene sets before us. So, Jesus was inside, and Peter was outside. Verse 69, the text says, Now Peter sat without, or outside, in the palace. While Jesus was inside the high priest's mansion, which was used as a courtroom, Peter was sitting outside in an uncovered courtyard. The Sanhedrin was condemning Jesus to death. Peter was preserving his life by a fire. It's quite a picture, isn't it? Under God's sovereign hand, two very different trials would now take place. Jesus, an innocent man, would be declared guilty. And Peter, a guilty man, would declare himself innocent. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said you weren't guilty when you knew you were? The text says that in the courtyard, a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was, I want you to notice these two words, with Jesus. Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. And we do not use the word damsel much in our day. <laughs> and when we do, we usually think of a young unmarried woman. However, the Greek here means female slave, slave girl. As we look at Peter warming himself by the fire, we want to remember two things. First, Jesus had warned Peter of what would happen. A few hours earlier, Jesus addressed his disciples, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is Written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Now, even though Jesus quoted Zechariah 13, 7 to reinforce his warning, self-confident Peter boasted. Let me repeat that. Self-confident Peter boasted. Despite what Jesus said. Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. I'm sure he meant that. Jesus countered Peter's self-exaltation. I'm not like other men. I'm not like other men. They may all scatter and leave you, but not me. So Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crew, thou shalt deny me thrice. 
Did Peter repent of his arrogance and his self-confidence when he heard that? No. Instead, Peter pridefully argued. Now, have people corrected you before? And the first thing you do is rush to your defense. Whether you're right or not, very often... You're quite certain that you're right, so you're going to def defend yourself, right? This is what Peter's saying. Uh, I know, I know, I heard what you just said, but I'm not ever going to do that. That's an astonishing statement. It's an astonishing attitude, and we can all carry it. When you in love, point out to someone that they're wrong about something, or at least encourage them to consider that they're wrong about something, and the first thing they start doing is um, exalting themselves. I know I wouldn't, oh, I did this because, and I would, yeah, they're in trouble. Now, there are times when we're falsely accused. I'm not talking about that. And there are times when we have to defend ourselves from things that are said that are wrong or mistakenly heard. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your hair trigger to defend you. Not a good sign. It surely wasn't for Peter. Now, <clears throat> though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee, Peter pridefully says. And then it's followed by this. Likewise, also said all the disciples. No, no, we're going to stand with you, Jesus. And then they ran away. Every one of them. Now, we must all take seriously what the Holy Spirit has just revealed to us. The disciples, Peter especially, were blind to their true spiritual condition. It wasn't the Holy Spirit speaking from them. It was their self-defense. It was their self-worship. It was their pride. It was their own strength. It was their own view of themselves. Every one of us here has the tendency to live in that mode. It's a very dangerous mode spiritually. They were blind to their true spiritual condition. And many of us are. We have a higher opinion of ourselves than is warranted. Peter had been warned. But Peter ran away. Now stop and think about that. Don't let that get by you. The word of God speaks to us every single day. Are you looking at yourself in the mirror of the word? Or are you just, oh, doing your, your homework you know, the pastors talk to us regularly about reading the scriptures, and so I've got my Bible calendar, and that's good, and so I rush through my chapter or my chapters. 
but I don't pick up anything. I don't read or take away anything that helps me see me. I can find a lot of stuff about you. Right? I can see a lot in here about those people that don't agree with me. May the Lord help them. When it is we that need to look into the mirror and see what our true spiritual temperature is. What our true spiritual condition is. Not one of these men understood. After three years with Jesus himself. They didn't get what was happening. And they didn't see themselves. And they ran away. Peter ran away. Now consider for a few minutes. This man that ran away. Who was he? Peter was a hand-picked disciple of Jesus. Jesus had come to him and said, come follow me. He was an eyewitness of Jesus for over three years. He saw Jesus work astounding miracles. He heard Jesus teach and preach with astonishing authority. In the presence of the other disciples, Peter proclaimed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said that Peter had received a revelation of that directly from God. You didn't figure that out, Peter. My Father in heaven showed you that. How many of us can say that about ourselves? Yep, God opened up the heavens and he showed me. Jesus also said that Peter and the other apostles would be the foundation upon which he would build his church. Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter heard God declare from heaven, This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. Hear him. Hmm. Furthermore, Jesus said that Peter and the other apostles would sit upon thrones judging Israel with him. That give you a fat head or what? Yeah, I'm among the little group that's going to sit in judgment of everybody. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'll try to do a good job. Unfortunately, very often, their heads were really swelled by the mercy and the grace that Christ showed them instead of being humbled. Furthermore, <clears throat> this Peter, of whom all these things are true, and even more could be said, this Peter, Ran away. Number two. God sent a woman. To accuse Peter. Jesus himself warned Peter. And then. The Lord put Peter in humble school. At that time in history, it was deeply humiliating for a woman to accuse a man in public. 
Even worse, she was a slave girl. And worse still, her accusation was that Peter was with Jesus. With Jesus. Those were damning words. At that very moment and in that mansion, Jesus was accused before the most powerful Jewish court in Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin. And Peter was in the courtyard accused by a slave girl. What a picture. What a contrast. A few hours before, Peter had boldly taken his sword and hacked off the ear of the high priest's slave in a failed attempt to rescue Jesus. That was in the presence of a heavily armed mob which had come to arrest Jesus. But now, the high priest's servant girl hacked Peter down to size with her tongue. In the presence of some of those who had been in the mob, she wielded this terrifying weapon. You were with Jesus. So what did Peter do? Did he man up at that moment? Peter denied Jesus. He really didn't know himself too well. Most of us here don't know ourselves spiritually well. Now, following this, following his denial, he did something worse. Peter denied Jesus before all that were around the fire. Verse 70 says, but he denied before them all. Wasn't enough just to say to the, the servant girl, uh-uh. He wanted everybody around the fire to know. He denied before them all saying, I know not what thou sayest. The power of that kind of gets a little lost in the beauty of the King James English. <clears throat> what he's saying is, I don't know what you're talking about. In the glow of the fire on that cold night, the crowd around the fire heard the servant girl say to Peter, you were with Jesus. Peter found himself on trial. That was an accusation. That accusation could get him in great trouble. Peter, who sang his own praise hours before, Peter, who said he would never deny Christ, 
Peter, who said that he would die before that happened, lied. You ever get in trouble and lie? And I'm talking to Christians right now. I'm not talking to lost people. That's your nature to lie. Christians are people that are supposed to traffic in truth. You lie? Do you lie at work? Do you lie to your parents? Do you lie to your children? Do you lie to your family members? Do you lie to uh, church members, brothers and sisters in the Lord? Do you lie? Peter lied. He just flat out lied. I don't know him. He doesn't even say, uh, well, I've heard about him. Yeah, I mean, who has it? I don't know him. Hmm. Peter had run away from Jesus. He had run from a mob with clubs and swords. And now he runs away verbally from a slave girl's accusation. You were with Jesus. No, I wasn't. He lied. I don't know what you're talking about. He had done miracles with Jesus. He walked on the water with Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Peter's second denial of Christ was in the entrance of the courtyard. This is verses 71 72. We will now watch Peter's progression from being inside the palace courtyard Moving toward the outside, he's running away from Jesus again. How about that? Peter moved from the fire to the porch. There was light around that fire. People could see him. So if, if it were not humiliating enough to be publicly accused by a slave girl, Peter had more humiliation waiting for him. The Lord was not going to let him up. Jesus will not have prideful disciples. Hear that? And he will put you in humility school if you're his. So, having been accused of being a disciple of Christ, Peter now moves from the light of the fire to a location that offered more darkness and therefore less visibility. The porch. <clears throat> it was separated from the palace by a courtyard. So Peter is moving away from Christ locally and spiritually. Verse 71 says, And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, Oh, it wasn't bad enough that it was an, another slave girl. But she immediately squeals to everybody that's around. She said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus. With Jesus. 
of Nazareth. Is that not amazing that a grown man, a fisherman, a strong man is fearful of a little girl with a few words? You were with Jesus. No, I wasn't. So once again, a woman accused Peter in the presence of others, this time immediately. The fisherman had another opportunity to speak of his faith. Stop and think about it. In those moments, he could have spoken of his love for Christ. He might have said, you know, I remember what I said to Jesus. I, t I told him that I, I'd rather die than this happen. This must be the moment. Yes, I'm his follower. I repent of the fact that I've just lied twice. And I want you to know that I love Jesus Christ. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He could have <laughs> boasted, God revealed to me that Jesus is the Christ. He could have leaned on all of his experiences, couldn't he? But he lied again. Didn't stop. Conscience wasn't bothering him too much yet. Peter's second denial was stronger than the first. How can there be stronger denials? Well, there can be. And Peter goes through a progression. They get worse with every step. The word of truth says that Peter lied. Again, he denied this time with an oath. I do not know the man. Both young women had said that Peter was with Jesus. But Peter did not say, uh, I don't know Jesus. Or, I was not with Jesus. He won't even mention his name. I don't know the man. How impersonal is that? Peter had walked on water with Jesus, I repeat. He had preached the kingdom of God with Jesus. He had been empowered by Jesus to perform miracles in the name of Jesus. And he says, I don't know the man. Oath here means to affirm the truth of a statement by calling on a divine being to execute sanctions against the person if the statement in question is not true. To call on God to bring down some kind of judgment if this isn't true. Now we hear it in our day. We hear this kind of thing. It usually goes something like this, especially from the, from the South. <clears throat> I swear to God. You've heard it. I swear to God, if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? You don't know how close you are to that. We hear those kinds of things. That's what Peter was doing. The man to whom God the Father personally revealed that Jesus was the Christ now called upon God to affirm his lie.
Wow. How perverted fear of people makes us. The word of God says plainly, brethren, the fear of man is a snare. Peter had bragged that he would die for Jesus. Now he cowered before another young woman. I wonder how many of us are as self-confident about our spiritual condition as Peter was. His retreat into darkness did not hide him from God's purpose. God still saw him as if he had a spotlight on him. God was not finished yet either. Third, Peter's denial of Christ, still by the porch, verses 73 and 74. The scene becomes shockingly shameful at this point. If it wasn't already, a group of people now exposed Peter. Verse 73, while the Sanhedrin looked for false witnesses to accuse Jesus with lies, God raised up two servant girls and then a crowd to accuse Peter with truth. Do you see it? The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and the legal leaders of the nation of Israel were looking for false accusers so that they could nail Jesus to a cross. But on the other hand, God raised up two servant girls and then this crowd to accuse Peter with truth. And he wouldn't have it. Apparently, some that had been in the mob and some that stood by the fire heard the slave girl's accusations. So they confronted Peter, the group. It isn't just the girls now. The group comes to him. After a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Let me tell you what. You take, you take a, a handful of Cajuns from South Louisiana, a couple of good old boys from South Mississippi and South Alabama, and drop them off in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there'll be some people there that will say very quickly, uh, you're not from here, are you? Well, that's what's going on here. That's what they're saying. Uh, we hear the way you, you're a Galilean. We, we know you're not from around our parts. You've got to be one of those that go, that follows him. It's that Jesus of Galilee. By the way, when they say Jesus of Galilee and Jesus of Nazareth, if it's people from Jerusalem, that usually meant an insult. They lived a higher life than the people in the backwaters of Galilee and Nazareth. So when you tagged where they were from, it would be like saying, Jesus from the other side of the tracks. After a while, they came unto him and they said, surely. We can tell by the way you talk. 
That's where you're from. You're one of them. So your way of speaking clearly makes known that you are from the north. You're a Galilean and one of them that follows Jesus. You don't talk like a Judean from the south. This group came to Peter, who was apparently standing in the darkness by the gate. He can't get away. They found him. And he's in darkness physically and spiritually. Doesn't mean that he wasn't one of God's children. He eventually proved to be. But right now, he's in deep darkness. Can that happen to God's people? Yeah, it can. It does happen. <clears throat> and generally to people who don't know or understand their spiritual condition. So while Jesus stood trial before the Sanhedrin, Peter now stood trial before a crowd. You're one of them. You're one of them. We know it. We've got the evidence. Say a couple of sentences and it'll prove the case. So what did he do now? How did Peter respond? Well, Peter's third denial was the strongest of the three. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. In our day, it would be easy for us to misunderstand the words curse and swear. Neither the Greek words nor the English properly understood necessarily mean profane, obscene, or foul language. In this context, to curse means to invoke divine harm if what is said is not true. In other words, calling God to do something to someone if what I'm saying isn't true. The word swear means to swear an oath. Very similar. Sin. Fear and cowardice so gripped Peter's heart that he called down a curse. Some say on himself. Some say on Christ. And some say on anyone who doubted him. We can we see all three working. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe he called it down on all three. And while he did that, while he was doing that, Jesus was acknowledging before the high priest and the Sanhedrin that he was the Christ. Told the truth in the midst of liars. And it's a reverse picture out there in the courtyard. There are people telling the truth and making true accusations and Peter's denying it all. The Christ. Jesus said, yes, I am. I will come in the clouds of glory in my eternal kingdom. Oh, I was firing up the Sanhedrin in a big way. Then we read Matthew's breathtaking words. Peter says again, I don't know the man. And as that, fin as that sentence finished, the cock crew. In the courtroom, the Jews heard the truth from Jesus, but denied it. 
In the courtyard, the people spoke the truth, and Peter denied it. Mm, it doesn't look like teacher and student, does it? Doesn't look very much like master and disciple. It doesn't look much like savior and born again one. Not a pretty picture. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. Not a pretty picture of discipleship. Mm. Well, that's what sin does. Sin perverts everything. Everything. Sin stains, violates, and perverts everything. So how can you say that? Mm. I can put the Bible in front of you. Say, interpret that for me. And some of you goes, um, I'm not sure what that means. Well, there's a problem. <laughs> Why don't we? Because we're sinners. Our minds don't function correctly. Why do God's people disagree about what we wear, what we listen to, what we watch, what we do this and that? Why is that? Well, partially because some of us are at a different state of maturity than others. That happens. Sometimes it's simply because both of us are wrong. Sometimes it's because we're disobedient to the scriptures that demand let everyone be fully persuaded in his own mind. Ryan. And we could go on. There are a lot of reasons for it. But the fact of the matter is that we're still sinful in our flesh. And apart from walking faithfully with Christ, <clears throat> we can show ourselves Unfortunately, not to be a good representative of our master. That's where Peter is. Mm -mm. Sin perverts everything. Even the best and most beautiful things that God gives us, we can make them dirty in a second. Now, on our outline, Peter went out and wept because of the rooster's sermon. You may think that's unusual language. I hope not. In the history of human preaching, it is unlikely that any human was so deeply humiliated by a sermon as Peter was with the rooster's preaching. Roosters crow and waken the sleeping. Human preachers declare the word of God to waken sinners to their eternal danger or to waken saints who have fallen asleep at the wheel. They don't usually like to be stirred either. But at the voice of the rooster, Peter remembered the word of Jesus. That's always the most important thing is that the word of God, the word of Christ Come to our minds. Have you been in a situation where you realized, I think I'm getting myself into something I shouldn't be doing? And God in his mercy brought the word of Christ, brought the word of God to your heart. And you said, ah, I need to leave. Uh, I need to go. I need to drop this. I need to move on. I need to honor Christ. Should be something that we all know. If you don't, we can talk about it. We should know that. We should know that 
Paul tells us with every temptation, there's an exit. You're never, if you're a child of God, you're never forced to sin. You do because you still carry the flesh. So, Peter remembered the word which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. You think he also remembered? And I said, that would never happen. The text doesn't tell us. But I would imagine, just like any human being, when the word comes home to our heart, unfortunately, one of the things we remember is our words and our actions. Mm -hmm. Is that right? But then he went out. He finally made it out. <laughs> he was on a way further away from Jesus. He finally went out into the darkness and he wept bitterly. He wept. He didn't just get angry with himself. He didn't hit himself in the head and beat himself up. He went and he wept because he saw himself. When you really see you, not the people you're bent out of shape with, when you really see you, it's weeping material. Do you? This is what's happening to Peter. He has walked with Jesus. I think all of us here that profess to be Christians would say, yeah, I've walked with the Lord. Mm -hmm. But I've done some things that are not honoring to my master. Oh, well, saved by grace. Let's not worry about it. Is that what we run to? Or do we actually see ourselves for what we are and how desperately we need him? You see, when the Lord shows you yourself, it's not, if you'll let me use this phrase, it's not to bum you out. It's not to depress you. He shows you who you are so that you will realize, I don't have a hope but Jesus. Other than that, you're going to depend on you. What you think you know, how smart you might think you are, what teaching and preaching you've sat under, uh, whether you sit and listen to sermon audio all day or something. I, 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 you will not see yourself till the Spirit of God moves in your heart. And when you do, it's never pretty. Don't use grace as an excuse to sin. Grace is that glorious truth that when we fail, when we see how sinful we are, when God in his mercy shows us, us, we look to Christ and we see that he finished it, that he paid for it. And left to ourselves, we'd go on in our wickedness. Do you know anything about that? That's why we're thinking about this. This is why we're putting this before us. Peter saw Peter. Is it possible that there ever were in the long history of human tears any more bitter 
than Peter's at that moment. He denied his teacher. He denied his friend. He denied his Christ, of which he got a personal revelation. He denied the Son of the living God, and he had denied Christ's words about him. You're going to deny me. Uh-uh. No. I will not. You ever done that? Lord, I'll never do that again. The works of the flesh are these. Oh, I did it again. Now, I don't want to say that we can live in unrepentant sin. That's not a good idea. But what I am saying is that our flesh and our view of sin is governing how we live every day. And we're either overcoming those things by the wonderful grace, mercy, and love of Christ over depending on us. I'll let Jesus in for this, but I don't need him for that. I'm doing okay with that. I'm pretty nice. I'm pretty, I'm kind. I've, I've memorized some Bible verses. I read the Puritans. <laughs> you can find all kinds of things that you'll fall back on. I am telling you, and if you don't know that, you need to know that about yourself. You will depend on you above Christ. Unless in his mercy, he shows you who you are. And while that's a painful project, joy is on the other side. Joy is trusting Jesus for everything. Trusting him for everything. Now, Peter knew that Christ's words were true now without any hesitation. No argument now from Peter. No argument. He denied his Christ. He lied about his Christ. And I'm sure until the day he died, Peter remembered that he denied Christ and lied that he never knew him in Jesus' darkest hour. While Jesus is being condemned to the cross. Peter's going, I don't know that fellow. Isn't it glorious that we read in John's last chapters how Jesus seeks out John, uh, seeks out Peter hmm? and he restores him. Oh, well, we need it. I need Jesus and his restoring power. To you? Or is that just something, oh, every two or three years you need? Brethren, we have higher views of ourselves than we want to admit. And we, in fact, we'll even say, well, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that's probably true. No, <laughs> no. You need Christ every day. Every day. You need his spirit. You need his word. You need his power. And for when he will be pleased... His presence. You need encouragement of heart. Strength of soul. And he gives it. But it's all in him. Not you. What you and I have to do is realize what we are. Peter has realized it. At least at this point in his life. 
He's got other tough, <laughs> he's got other tough uh, courses to go through in the Lord's school. You read the book of Galatians. But he clearly goes on with Christ. That's what God's people do. When the Lord shows them what they are, they cling to Christ. Of my children, I had one that you could discipline. And when everything was over, I'd just get a stare in the face. Kind of like, that the best you got? But the other one, when disciplined, would climb into my lap and throw arms around my neck. Because they understood that sometimes what we need is discipline. That's the right response. If the Lord's showing you who you are, just climb up on him. Hang on to him. Look to him. Realize what he's done to save you, to wash away your sins and have your joy restored. As long as you and I are like Peter. Uh-uh. I don't need that. The day's coming, if you're God's child, that you will be in that school. God's school of humiliation. Well, <clears throat> just got one more head here. And it's very important at this point. There is nothing worse than sin. And nothing greater than God's grace to sinners. There is nothing worse than sin. And nothing greater than God's grace to sinners. That's the only people he shows his grace to. It's true, the lost man uh, partakes of, of a certain general grace that the Lord shows. But the grace of salvation is the sweetest thing we can know in this world. Many people are just churchgoers, card carriers for their birds of a feather. We're not interested in that. We're interested in real, live, spirit-wrought, Spirit-maintained Christianity. In the last two sermons, we've considered tears for the lost. We've considered tears for God's glory. But now I want to be very cautious. Do you hear that word? <laughs> if you're drifting, I need you to hear the word. I'm trying to be cautious. I want to be cautious as I say this because it is not a one-size-fits-all statement. But I do ask, is it possible that we do not weep over the souls of the lost? We do not weep over the stained glory of God because we never weep over our sins. Just urge you to think about that. What's wrong with us that we don't weep for the lost? Why don't we? Why don't we weep when our God is dishonored? I was watching something the other day. And right as I was following along with what was going on, a guy took the, the Lord's name in vain. It went off instantly. I will not have that in my house. 
Is it possible that we do not weep over the souls of the lost and the stained glory of God because we don't weep over our sins? Hmm. The point of my question is really very simple. Remember, this is not a one-size-fits-all. But if we do not take sin seriously, we will never take eternal hell seriously. If we do not take sin seriously, we will not care that people dishonor our God every single second of the day. What then is sin? Well, 1 John 3, 4 declares, sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, it's our doing what we want to do as opposed to what God tells us to do. It's every thought, it's every word, it is every deed that violates God's commands. Anybody here guilty? I know I am. Even when you're looking pretty good on the outside, there can be a cauldron of filth boiling over in your heart. And regenerate people know it. Sin. There's nothing worse than sin. You can't think of anything on this planet. Nothing that compares to sin. Because of all the horrible things that you see. All the dreadful things that human beings can do to one another. Husbands, wives, parents, children, governments, uh, people, citizens. You can look at all of the horrors of human history. It's all rooted in sin. That's it. We do not become sinners by sinning. We sin because we are born sinners. That's vital. Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. We could stop right there, couldn't we? Never go any further. Guilty. Anybody here have pure thoughts all day, every day, without changing? I know better. I've read a book about you. And about me. <clears throat> From within, out of the heart of men, who and what you are spiritually, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. By the way, that includes then pornography. No one watches that demonic filth and says, I'm watching this because these people know how to pray. Never. Never. Murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. I don't like to know that about me. Do you like to know that about you? Where do those thoughts come from? You. Where do those wicked things that you do come from? There's no question. We don't have time to follow this out. The fact of the matter is, certainly we have an enemy in Satan and the demons. And they can contribute. But we're the ones that open the door and say, please come in and oppress me. Please help me to do this wickedness. Please help me to lie so that nobody will catch me. You may not be saying that, but that's what you're doing. You invite the powers of darkness into your life. Dads, 
You need to understand you can cause generational damage by hiding sins. Mothers, same thing. Sin is an infinite evil with an infinite punishment. William Plumer said, Tell me what you think of sin and I will tell you what you think of God, of Christ, of the Spirit, of the divine law, of the blessed gospel, and of all necessary truth. He who looks upon sin merely as a fiction or as a misfortune or as a trifle sees no necessity either for deep repentance or great atonement. He who sees no sin in himself will feel no need of a Savior. Close quote. If you don't see who you are, you won't cling to Christ. It's just the way it is. Thomas Watson said, quote, To melt in tears as a child of God or as a child weeps, to melt in tear for sin as a child weeps for offending his father. When Christ looked on Peter and Peter remembered his sin in denying him, he fell to weeping. Clemens Alexandrinus, that's Clement of Alexandria, he was an early church theologian, reports of Peter that he never heard a cock crow, but that he wept. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but history has enshrined that. From then on, the rest of his life, every single time he heard a rooster crowing, that was it. He would weep. Some of us know that when we hear a certain song, some of us know when we see a certain image, a certain picture, uh, uh, run into a certain person, the pain of sins that we've committed rise up and mock us. Boy, that's when we need to run to the cross. That's when we need to run to Christ. Oh, my friends, it is a sign, Watson says, that God is our Father when the heart of stone is taken away and there is a gracious thaw in the heart. And it melts into tears for sin. He who has a childlike heart mourns for sin in a spiritual manner. Sin deflowers the virgin's soul. It defaces God's image. It turns beauty into deformity. It is called the plague of the heart. A child of God mourns for the defilement of sin. Sin has to him a blacker aspect than hell. Close quote. Mm. I think he's right. But even though, if you never read a Puritan in your life, I can tell you this without any hesitation. There is nothing more calculated to make you see and make me see the horror of sin than the Holy Son of God hanging upon Calvary's cross. How horrible is sin? How dreadful is sin? That holy man who had never a sinful thought, a sinful word, a sinful deed suffered in my place.
And all I need to do is go to the scriptures and look by the eye of faith. And I can see how bad my sin is. Look at the sun and you'll understand your sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is. Listen, wave after wave of God's outrage and wrath fell upon his precious son. Christ's body was broken. His blood poured out. His back cut with whips. A crown of thorns beaten into his head. His hands and feet nailed with cruel spikes. There is your sin at work. And the grace of God at work. The mercy and the love of God. God at work. Look and see how foul your sin is. You don't need to see anything else. We deserve the death Christ died, but in his grace, mercy, and love, he bore all the sins of his people on Calvary's cross. All of them. Our sins pinned God's son to that bloody cross to pay forever the guilt and shame and pollution of our sins. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering death. So, when Peter understood the filthiness and shame of his sin, he wept bitterly. Do we ever? I'm not saying God's people have to be in tears every day. I'm not saying that. Let's be clear. Doesn't mean that you need to weep over every single sin you've ever created, uh, 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 every single sin that you have performed. But do you ever see your sin for what it is? I urge you to meditate on Christ. Christ on the cross, Christ risen again, and to know that Peter. Though he lied and denied his Savior, was restored to him. Sometimes it's a painful time to face what we are and what we've done. But it's always glorious in the end because of Christ. May your weeping be turned to the joy of forgiveness and everlasting life. Amen. Father, I thank thee for your mercy and your grace. Now I pray that you would take us from this place and make us a thoughtful people. Lord, some of us need to ask, when was the last time I was even bothered by my sin? Let alone tears. But oh God, if there is a bitter weeping, there is always the glory and the joy of seeing our sins finished in Christ crucified, and Christ resurrected. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me. I'm thankful there's a savior for cowards and for every kind of sinner. 
Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work. Can we pray that? Yeah. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go in the name of the Lord.